Hello everyone, I'm Frank Garz with Lean Startup Company, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Today's topic is the importance of staying close to your customers, and moderating the discussion is our own Lean Startup Company faculty member, Hisham Ibrahim. Our guest is CEO and founder of Active Campaign, Jason Vandeboom. And with that, I'll hand things off to Hisham. All right. Thank you, Frank. Jason, great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. Um, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I have a engineering background that goes back to basically when I was a child, uh, mixed with kind of like a fine arts passion, if you will. Um, and, and that sort of has led me into really liking creating things, uh, building things, whether it be products or, or whatever. Excellent. And uh, Active Campaign, which is your, the, the company that you're leading, yeah. what does it do? Yeah, so we help businesses grow. Uh, so to break down that even a little bit more, because it's a pretty broad uh, topic, uh, yeah. we really focus on customer experiences, meaning uh, from the minute someone starts learning about your brand, uh, what can you start to influence? As you start to know who they are, if you have a sales process, how do you utilize automation and human touch? How do you get that right blend? Uh, not over automating things, but really providing an experience that uh, an end user truly remember and like uh, with the ultimate goal of that experience continues forever uh, into like more of an advocacy or, or repeat sale. That's really interesting. I love that because, you know, mo most companies, when you say the, the term customer experience, they focus on the in-product experience. It sounds like you're looking at it holistically, end-to-end, -end, all the touch points, uh, even outside of the of yeah. product. So it's a pretty broad thing. So what we really care about is customer data and then orchestrating the, the pieces. So some of it is in product, um, but we might not always even have those tools or those products for that part of the customer experience. Mm -hmm. We can still influence it through automation and whatnot uh, and ensuring that customer data um, is being used correctly throughout the entire experience. Very good. Well, um, before diving into the story of Active Campaign, why don't we start with right now? Give us an idea about the size of the company, size of the business, some 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 data, some statistics. Sure. Uh, so we are over seventy thousand customers that are actual like small business customers, uh, paying and using the platform. Uh, we're around four hundred people total. Uh, in terms of employee size, we're, we're here in Chicago uh, as our headquarters. Uh, we also opened an office in Indianapolis, uh, also opened an office in Sydney, Australia, um, and have a really big global reach. Uh, so over half of our business, uh, over half, in our, or half of our revenue is actually in other countries. Wow, that's amazing. I can't, I can't wait to hear the story. So take us back to the beginning then. So when did you start it? Why did you start it? How did you start it? And kind of, kind of walk us through the 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 story of how you got it to where it is yeah so i grew up in a small town in wisconsin uh and, and started dabbling with engineering and whatnot at a young age and doing consulting and, and things like that i ended up moving to chicago for fine art school um and I, I i wish i had a bigger like plan or like thought of how i was going to impact anything or create a company but i was really ultimately just trying to um do something a little bit more efficient than I was doing at the time from a time saving standpoint and make money so that I could help pay for college uh, and maybe a little bit extra. Um, so that started it um, and I built the first product that way. 
Um, and it was always this just, what yeah. year was that? 2003. 2003. Okay. Yeah. So it was just this idea of, I was working with these small businesses at the time mm. and they had similar needs. Some of it was like content management, things like that, that I could solve through existing products. Uh, a lot of them wanted to start communicating with their customers or at least organize all their contact lists at the time for a small business, like a true small business, um, the options were somewhat limited. So I was building this like kind of one off for people. Uh, so decided to just package it up and sell it with no idea of like what that could be or what that could mean. Um, and then as you know, someone bought it, it I just glued onto them to learn as and much. Were you just working with kind of local small businesses in your area? Uh, no, all over the place, to be honest. So like, uh, you know, I had um, universe or I had like these uh, like universities that were trying to get some work done. I had some office parks out on the East Coast that I somehow got connected to. The thing is I would find like one project, whether it be local or not, and then I would not care about the revenue from it because I, I didn't have to care too much at the time. All I cared about was the interesting work and ensuring like I was providing a ton of value. So when you do that, um, being able to spread your kind of network a little bit and, and find additional opportunities, uh, you start creating this organic motion, right? Mm. Um, and so I did that from the consulting angle, but then I tried to take those same practices uh, when it came to actual software. Mm. And then what? Yeah, so then, you know, 2003, we had one product, it was just myself. Um, as I had more customers, I needed uh, a way to show documentation. So, so, sorry, what, what did that one product do, that first product in 2003? Sure. It was just contact management. So it was just put some contacts together. You could some, send some basic emails and things like that, um, but it was very basic. Uh, so the functionality there was not like, out of this world, what it did is it provided accessibility for true small businesses to use it. And from there, I just started like just listening to customers. Someone would buy it for like $35 and I'd spend, you know, many, many hours with them in like getting it set up, getting it working, having no care or context as to um, time spent, but just soaking in all that knowledge and using it to try to find additional opportunities. You were learning. Um, yeah. And it initially actually was producing, it was on-premise software. So it made it even more challenging. So someone had to buy the software, download it, install it on their own server, which is a whole ton of friction, right? Um, so that led to a bunch of like people needing help. So that was getting overwhelming in my inbox. So we needed like help desk software and we needed knowledge-based software. Instead of going on the market, finding something, I just built it thinking like, surely I can build it and cater it to what I think would be helpful for my own needs from time and automation. And then I continued doing that. And we, we actually got up to eight products uh, in the first decade, all on-premise solutions that all impacted a piece of the customer experience, a piece of that customer journey. And, and it was interesting because the realization through all of that, we learned a lot about each piece, um, but was the tool didn't actually matter as much as uh, moving data throughout the entire experience and making that feel like a unified experience, whether it's like uh, they're being actually interfaced by one tool or another. Um, and that's sort of like what's ultimately led us down to a path of, you know, consolidated in, focus on one thing is that, and that being the thing, uh, and switch also our licensing model from on-premise to reoccurring uh, software as a service. That's fascinating. So <clears throat> am I right in, in understanding then that the, that the main problem you were solving for these small businesses was the data flow. Yeah, and indirectly, we didn't even know it at the time. 
but because we were building all, all these different pieces and we kept solving for that. We were solving for automation uniquely in each product, but we still had the problem of how do you connect it all together? And then that started creating this like massive on-premise all in one sort of feel, which also didn't seem like it was the right approach because people then had their own tool and whatnot that they wanted to bring into the mix. So we still had that friction in the customer experience. And yeah, that's the, uh, that's our thought on the market of, of just like using sort of best of breed tools and products. If you can sort of stitch together that customer experience, that's the ideal state to be in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what year are we now? We're about eight. Yeah. 2011. Yeah, you could even fast forward to like 2013. So we're a whole 10 years in now. Um, I knew for years uh, with, with some confidence that we should have made this change. We spent a ton of time being fearful of, of success. Um, and we finally made a decision uh, to start introducing it and start to introduce it slowly. Uh, we were bootstrapped the whole time. We were a profitable company. Um, we were only eight people. Uh, so we went from one to eight in 10 years. I don't think that makes it on any of the, like the tech, uh, tech logs or anything like that, <laughs> but like it was a crazy, it was a sustainable business, a really solid business. And it's a sign of like all those other businesses out there like that, that don't always get the attention, but should probably, mm -hmm. um, because they're actually creating value. They have substance and they can survive. Um, so we started making that change. It took years to make the change from on-premise to SaaS. It was critical that we like if we're if, if if we exist to help other customer experiences we can't have a bad one ourselves right meaning i can't just switch from one model to the other and like change our brand name and be like hey, don't don't worry about active campaign that's the company that just like abandoned all the early customers um <laughs> so even though we made that switch in 2013 even last year we had people that were helping out with the on-premise software from like way back then mm. which doesn't make a lot of sense I'd argue the best things typically don't make sense on paper and definitely don't sound scalable. Um, so like those are things that we just constantly uh, try to practice and use. Um, but it led to this slowly wind people off the one product, but do it by selling them on the idea that there will be more value with the other offering. Right. And you won't be able to get like a hundred percent, but we were able to get a significant portion to buy into that over time, which is a hard thing to do. You're, you're telling someone, take a one-time fee that you paid. Now, instead of that, just give us a check like every month. Even if it's a smaller amount, like from a value standpoint, you have to, you have to prove something to get past that hurdle. Um, as we started doing that, um, we really started focusing on the problem of like, how do you, you know, really manage and improve a customer experience? So marketing automation was a, a good place to start from an existing category that everyone knew about. So you could even fast forward to 2016 now. So we're doing, starting this transition in 2013. Three years later, we're now up to like 20 people. So still not like anything that's going to like hit the news, but done in a very sustainable way. We, we were profitable. We were sustainable the entire time, right? Um, and then since then, like we've really been able to uh, capitalize on, on like advocates of that just like really love the brand, love the problem we're solving and really lead with a product first approach and stay true to a product first approach. Um, so from 2016, you know, being like 20 some people to start the year to now today, uh, we're, we're 400. Um, it's been, you know, different seasons of the company in terms of growth, uh, but it, it's been a fascinating experience to have.
That does sound fascinating. I want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned, Jason. Sure. <clears throat> it sounds like um, for the first 10 years, you did a lot of things like you mentioned that weren't scalable. Yes. And the things that didn't make sense on paper. Um, but at the same time, you learned a ton. Yep. And, and you had a sustainable, profitable yeah. uh, business. Yeah. What, what was behind that philosophy of just building stuff that's unscalable and, what, uh, and, and the learning that came from that? What, what drove that mentality? I think if you find a way where you can basically box yourself in to having to have that mentality, that's key. So meaning if we had access to a bunch of capital up front, would we have that in our sort of like cultural DNA? Probably not. We would have been able to take different, different approaches and whatnot. Um, but by actually, like there was no other way of, of building the business. We had to make money to grow. Um, we had to keep providing value because we had to keep selling licenses, right? Um, and I think it was that early realization of just an obsession of the customer. And that's something I've always had historically even, like just growing up and watching my parents run a bunch of small businesses and whatnot. Like that's a key fundamental piece of it um, is just showing, showing value over time. Um, so not thinking about time with the customer as a cost. Thinking about that as an opportunity for that's how you find out some opportunities within your product, within your roadmap um, that you could capitalize on, plus some other things that you come up with yourself. So back then we had, you know, up to eight people during that period and it was mostly engineering and we would get on the phone. We would like, I'd have our engineers answer the support line uh, and go from like, talk about bad context switching from like actual developing to all of a sudden you're doing tech support. Um, maybe it doesn't scale, probably doesn't, but that's what led us to understand like one, what are, the, what are the opportunities and products, but bigger than that, what are the problems that they're actually trying to solve? And that's what led to more of the idea of, there's actually a bigger problem we could possibly solve that would provide more value than just the individual tools we were building. I think that's actually great context switching for engineers. I mean, in, in my experience, the closer you have engineers oh, yeah. uh, to, to customers. Yeah, absolutely um, agree. They that, just might not enjoy it all the time because it's like mentally shifting from, from work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, but in the end, you know, when, when they're the ones that are identifying the problems, they're so much more passionate about solving them uh, yeah. for, for the customers. Um, you also mentioned something about during the transitional years, um, you asked for monthly checks from customers, even, even if they were lower amounts. Um, what, was, what was behind that? Why, why did you do that? Or what do you mean exactly through the, as we're switching from on-premise to SaaS and whatnot, or? Yeah, you mentioned that you're asking for monthly checks. Um, was, was, I'm, I'm assuming that that was a way for you to um, uh, prove that there's, there's value in what you're doing, or what, what, why did you mention that? Yeah, so you know, switching that business model from perpetual like one-time payments over to the reoccurring, um, yeah. it actually started even when we were still on premise. I was trying to identify a way. Our license price was now like five hundred dollars or so. I was trying to find a way. How do I make that more cost efficient for a small business? That led us to think, okay, we can license on-premise software at a monthly rate, um, which was a little ahead of its time, and yeah. and then for on-premise and 
And that like started as a small number, but then we saw that grow, like whether it be credit card or whether they actually send in a check or whatnot. Um, and seeing that grow led to that's revenue stability that gives us a little better idea of where we're going. Plus, people are willing to take that leap from like a one-time payment to seeing value over time. And today even, a lot of companies really push for like annual payments and things like that. And while, you know, I, I like those, like statistically speaking, uh, most of your metrics are typically better with it and whatnot, but there's a certain pressure that, that comes with a monthly payment that's really nice. You, you have to prove value all the time. You have short windows to prove value. You can't just uh, push something out or just wait, you know, let a problem stew. Um, and, and that sort of pressure, I think, is, is really key um, when trying to just create value for your customers and create that experience that matters. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I'm wondering around, around 2016, you mentioned you had about 20 employees, sustainable business growing. Um, there was a huge leap between 2016 and, and now. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm curious about is before the company grew like that in the last couple of years, around 2016 when you had those 20 employees, how did you think about success, what success looked like? Were you thinking about a particular goal or a vision or true north that you had, or how were you defining success? Yeah, so success was primarily defined based on actually product, I'd say, and not even... Uh, we we're starting to think about like revenue in terms of targets where we wanted to get and whatnot, but actually the 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 main like beacons out there we were chasing were actually it was like product functionality, um, and then everything sort of followed it. Um, that's you know now it's it's a little bit of that. It's also thinking about revenue and customer growth and whatnot. Um, but I think keeping that like what are you built like what are you selling that's going to be a differentiator. Um, keeping that at the forefront of like that should be your focus and everything else trails it versus the other way around. Like you can easily manufacture revenue um, on something that won't sustain over time, right? Yeah, no, I think that's very wise because, um, you know, one, one thing we've learned is that successful companies who are now, uh, that are now large, when they first started, the reason they became successful in the first place is because of everything that you did right, which is you stayed very, very close to the customers. Yeah. The whole team was obsessed with the customer and their problem and solving it. Yeah. I think that's that might be what you're labeling kind of product first. Yeah. Um, but typically what happens when a company starts growing and, and succeeding in, in market is gradually and without them even consciously feeling it, the focus starts to shift towards managing the company, managing the business, operating yeah. the organization. Uh, it eventually gets, it goes public, then it's managing to the shareholder expectations, which are very short, short term focus. Yeah. So I, I, I think a factor in your success so far has been this obsession with staying true to the customer and their, and their problems. And like you said, the rest follows. Yeah, and I think that, like, I would like to hope that you, you can actually find ways to do that even as you scale further. Um, an example being, like, there's plenty of people, you know, once you get to a certain company size, like you're saying, where you don't even know that you have a problem with your customers until, like, 
all of a sudden everything else follows it. So like six, 12 months later, and it's almost too late and it's taking a lot of work to catch back up. Um, like one truly unscalable thing I do, but I, I don't expect to stop anytime soon if ever, um, would be, so we have 70,000 customers. We do NPS, net promoter scores every quarter for them. Uh, we obviously have people churning out. We have CSAT, things like that. As we get uh, customer data in, instead of, in the normal thing to do as a company scales is create all these rail guards between you and your customer, which is, which is fascinating. It's like you create teams and you create people so that you don't have to actually endure the yeah. But so instead of doing that, we obviously are building up teams, people, things like that. All of that raw data goes straight to my inbox, not into like a label or anything like that. But as we get NPS, that goes into my inbox, cancellation data inbox. So I'm, I'm consuming that all day. Um, and we've even built out teams so like we can call things out and whatnot. What I've found from that, if you go that extreme, and maybe you don't even have to go that extreme, um, it's like a, it's, it's an infectious thing throughout the organization. Other people want to do it. So once people found out like, hey, I'm reading all of this data all day uh, and, and I enjoy it, uh, and a lot of it's like constructive, right? Or, or sometimes not even constructive, um, other people want access to it. So everyone's like, uh, can I get added to that distro and stuff like that? And it's, it's so much to the point where I would even talk about a little more extreme of like, I don't care from a number standpoint where our net promoter score is. Like, like that, like knowing that or having a packaged up thing with like how our customers are feeling, there's value in that to have it in the organization and whatnot probably. But ultimately, like there's, if you consume all of that feedback directly, that raw feedback where it's not like all just brought down and grouped up by like a category, like customers are not, not really liking the new pricing or something like that. You get a sense of the tone, the emotion from your customer base. And that's far more powerful uh, than a number or something like that. Um, so can we still do that? You know, when we're a hundred, 200,000 customers, I'll try, like, I'm not going to stop doing it, but is it unscalable? Probably at a certain point. Um, but I would do that all day long versus, uh, giving that up any second before I have to. That's really amazing, Jason. Um, and you actually segued into what I wanted to ask you next, which is, which, which is how do you maintain this, um, this, yeah customer-centric, lean approach as your organization grows. Are there other examples of things that you're doing? Yeah. Um, or how you're leading or training your staff uh, or how you're organizing the, the company um, to maintain that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a variety of them. Um, I'm a big believer in trying to create like, um, uh, like productized teams or like almost like as self-sufficient of like many startups in an org as possible, meaning that they can get work done without having a bunch of dependencies on other teams in the org. We're not perfect by it. It's something we're constantly chasing, trying to figure out how do we remove more dependencies? How do we get a team to be able to act like almost its own company, right? Um, that definitely being one of them, bringing customers closer to everyone, uh, including like product and engineering is obviously a core, like um, it's that balance of, um, how do you allow focus and getting, you know, getting things done, but also understanding the problem that you're looking to solve. Because the thing is like, they're looking at things in a different way as well and can bring some amazing like insights into how you're solving it. And that like, yeah. you know, if you're thinking only from the marketing or only from like the strategic product direction, you might miss. Um, so that's another thing. Also just a general understanding, this sounds basic, but a general understanding of the market and, and what matters to the, like what makes 
the business successful and the business will only be successful if the customers are. So like what, um, what are those components? So we've started a bunch of like internal trainings on things just like on software as a service, which sounds simple, but if you start like, and we have hundreds of people going through this, this one example right now um, through Sester and whatnot, and, and it, we, we have leadership talk with them. It's a good time to get like just cross-functional discussions uh, going on different topics, all relating to, it all goes back to customer value. And like, I, I feel like I say customer value like way too much here, but like that, without that, we're just either forcing someone to buy something that's a poor product or like taking advantage of the fact there's nothing better yet but that yet word is really important because it's just a matter of time if you, if you don't actually continue to iterate on the value and where you're going, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think a bunch of those things, um, always looking for additional ways uh, to get closer and closer to how do we get customers closer. Um, we, we bring them to all hands, every all hands, we do stories. There's lots of, lots of storytelling to take it away from features like like if you think about a company or product in, in the way of features it loses all emotion yeah and uh, you lose all the value that they're buying it for even um half the time because usually people are not buying it for feature x y and z they're they're solving yeah. something it's creating something um trying to package that up so there's a bit of internal marketing involved yep. with that i'm curious jason now that you've got a, a significant customer base and it's international. Yeah. Um, how, how have you approached segmentation um, or, uh, or have you found that there are different needs for different kinds of small businesses depending on where they are? Yeah, that's no, a, it's a great question because it's something. What vertical, what vertical they're yeah. in. So we're definitively focused on small business. So our plan is not to move up market like a lot of others and sort of abandon our early customers. Uh, plus the international, if you give a vertical list, we cover every single vertical in some capacity. Mm. Now, a lot of the reason why people move up market is to chase like better metrics, maybe better attention, larger check size, whatever it may be. Um, also focus does help, right? So the only way we can actually do what we're looking to do over time is become more personalized with our product, with our platform. In addition to like, when I talk about our platform, helping people personalize experiences, that's one piece, but our platform itself has to be personalized. So an example, like when you go create an automation in our, in our platform, uh, instead of just starting with a blank page with a ton of powerful like triggers and actions, we have a bunch of collections of different recipes based on vertical, based on like what you're looking to solve. Um, that'll help you spark those ideas and work off of those. So what we're busy doing is taking that and pushing that into a whole variety of different approaches that are a combination of primarily programmatic inside the platform to really offer up more personalized like suggestions and personalized experiences using the product. And then also um, segmenting our teams a little bit um, to help uh, make up for some of the existing things in the product that are not personalized as much as possible yet. So it's this thing that we're, we're sort of chasing right now. Um, but the idea of, you know, being able to have like a truly personalized experience that's more wrapped around, like not just even your vertical, but like if, if we see a lot of data and whatnot, we could actually give you some ideas based on, on seeing all of that, that are, that are highly unique. Very interesting. Um, I have one, 
almost last question uh, right. for, for you, Jason, which is <clears throat> if we go back to the early days, um, 2003 to 2004-5, um, you know, all of us, when we start something new, we have a whole bunch of assumptions in our head. Yeah. Um, was there a particular really fundamental uh, assumption or in, in lean startup, startup terminology, we call them leaps of faith, that you had? Yeah. Um, that you that you discovered was completely false, and how did you how did you discover it, um, and kind of what were the circumstances around that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I, I had a variety. One that really stands out to me though is I had this assumption that there was a known way, or that there were actual best practices to just about everything we were trying to do. Meaning from pricing, packaging, everything else that I had this assumption that there were more intelligent people that knew the problem, knew the space, knew everything. And through trial and error of like paying too much attention to competitors and not taking enough bets ourselves, we, we, we ran into a uh, thing time, time and time again. Like when we started abandoning like our, like how do we remain friendly to our customers and started just like adding more fees onto things and stuff like that, or programmatically through features, chasing what others were doing. It led to this idea that, you know, one, don't, don't follow competitors, uh, which a lot of people say, but like, I think you have to kind of experience a little bit to truly value it. Um, and the same with customer feedback, like take that in as a data point, um, but don't use the customer feedback as your exclusive roadmap. And to, to actually give yourself more credit than I think most small business owners and most like uh, people starting a startup would. Like there's this assumption that, you know, someone else somehow knows your, your problem you're looking to solve or customer base as much as you do, even if it looks like it's a direct competitor. When in reality, like they're experimenting just as much. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a subtle one, but um, it, was, it was profound when we started to actually uh, change that way of thinking. And it's really important. You're not watching like everyone else and what they're doing and feeling like you're behind. You can just glance occasionally and be like, huh, good luck. Like, you know, yeah. No, I think that's really important. Um, all right. Final, final question. Sure. Um, if you were to do it over, hmm. kind of take the clock back to 2003, what's, what's one thing you would do differently? would have moved faster on decisions. Clearest, most obvious decision that was clearly, clearly like a foundational point of, of causing company growth was the switch from on-premise to SaaS. And we knew about that. We talked about that for literally years beforehand. And we were so fearful of like success and for so, so fearful of like, if this takes off, what do we need to do for infra, for like support, for everything else? that we didn't just try it. And ultimately we didn't even flip the switch after all that years of discussion. We just offered it at the same time as offering on-prem and slowly started to highlight it. So we were able to learn very quickly what we needed. It wasn't even a huge rush. Um, and there's so many other uh, examples along the way of where we just took a little too much, or in this case, a lot of, a lot of extra time just 
overthinking and especially on the success, like what will happen? Um, and, and it's, uh, it's something we haven't been able to totally free ourselves from in, in terms of thought, but um, it, it's fascinating uh, how, how much of a delay that can cause. Jason, this, this was really, really amazing. I wanna, I wanna thank you. And you shared, you shared some really valuable nuggets here around the importance of staying close to the customer, um, not taking your eyes off that ball. Um, it's amazing that you personally are still very close to the customer and you're, you're reviewing the raw data every day and you're, um, uh, and that's kind of contagious within yeah. the culture of, of the organization as, as it grows. And the fact that um, early on you did all these unscalable, this unscalable work um, because you saw the value in the learning. Yeah. Um, and I think all of that culminated in the, the, the hockey stick uh, curve growth that you're seeing now over the last two, two to three years. So thank you very much for your time and thank you for sharing your, your active campaign uh, story. Uh, we really appreciate it. We know this is gonna be very valuable to our Lean Startup community. Yeah, no, appreciate having me and really enjoyed the conversation. So thanks again. Thank you.